everyone and welcome back to another book podcast. Today we have the wonderful Stella Brinziano behind the microphone to discuss her 2022 novel Set in Stone, her current read and all things medieval Moldova. Stella is not only a lovely person to talk to but the conversations we had about her childhood, life in Moldova and dreaming in English were so fascinating. There will also be a little surprise at the end of the episode this week so stay tuned. As per usual, a quick disclaimer. Despite any connections to the publishing industry, all opinions on books and biscuits are completely our own here at Another Book Podcast. So let's dive into this week's episode. So, hey Stella, welcome to Another Book Podcast. We're just going to be speaking about your writing, Moldova, hopefully, and Set in Stone, your book that came out in, was it July last year? August, August that's August, right. August, 4th of August. That's right. Uh, so how long have you been writing for? You see, I don't really remember when I started writing, because growing up in a small community in rural Moldova, writing and reading were my most cherished activities because well mainly because there wasn't much else to do around there Mm -hmm. and um, my parents were busy with their work uh, their jobs apart from working the land and so uh, books and notebooks were my portals that allowed me to um, explore and lose myself in but also to kind of escape the harsh reality of growing up in a communist country um, during the 80s and then a transitioning country in the 90s when Moldova struggled to move to the free market economy. But I do remember the first the first time when my writing made an impression on other people. And I don't know whether it was good or bad, but it left me, um, <laughs> it left me humiliated um, and afraid to share my writing for a very long time after that. So what happened was that I think it was at the start of secondary school and um, our Romanian teacher asked us to write a short story about our holidays. And in true East European uh, morbid style, I wrote about my um, the funeral of my nine-year-old cousin that I'd gone to. And um, yeah, I don't remember exactly what I wrote in that story, but it couldn't have been anything cheerful, judging by the <laughs> only photo that I have, where I stand by his coffin. And I must mention that in Moldova, we have um, open casket funerals. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, in this photo, I um, stand by his coffin totally transfixed by his gaunt figure and bald head because of all the um, chemotherapy that he'd undergone. Right. Um, yeah, so when, um, when the teacher came back to us about um, our homework, she started questioning me about it. Why did I write about a funeral? Who'd help me with it? Why, why the idea of a funeral? And anyway, she probably was um, worried about my mental state, to be honest. <laughs> but um, her questioning left me more traumatised than the funeral itself. Right. So the, the consequences of that incident were that, uh, yes, I did not share my writing for years after that. It actually took growing up, moving to a different country, coming to England, writing in English as opposed to Romanian, and yeah, more than a decade after that, I was or I started to feel ready about to show to share my again. writing. Yes, That's that was twenty twelve when I first decided. You know what? I'm over that. Let's just mm-hmm. send the words out there into the world. And yeah, you're so young as well, and like you said, it's so it's a bit of freedom for you. And then to have someone 
kind of so harshly criticise or even asking you like who helped you on it in, in a way looking back I guess you could think that she was asking you who helped you with it because it probably was written so well but at the time you're probably just thinking you can just hear the criticism only well yes probably because um, our teachers were amazing but and also in the in in the way that they always wanted the best out of us and mm-hmm. they never told us oh you did well enough or well done they were not words in the in our teachers vocabulary and I understand right. that because they wanted us to try harder and work harder um, but I think it was um, the fact that I was in front of the whole class and because when you yeah. answer questions from our teachers we had to stand up so I think I remember that burning shame of just yeah. you know and he couldn't talk back to your teacher he couldn't say um, mm-hmm. you couldn't argue with them so yeah that incident kind of yeah that stayed with me for for a very long time yeah I mean I don't blame you because you do feel like especially if a teacher is worried about a student you think that they'd maybe you know keep you behind after class and have a private conversation about it but um, to have that conversation in front of everyone yeah that would be so off-putting for a very long time yes absolutely but it is actually amazing that you know obviously like your English isn't your first language and yet you've been able like to create such an amazing story in your second language is like phenomenal would you ever think about writing in Romanian oh do you know what my Romanian is not as what it used to be any mm-hmm. longer because I lived in the UK for over 20 years which is a lot more than I lived in Moldova right so when I started dreaming in English it oh. happened almost like a switch in my brain I started or writing in English came easier to me than writing in Romanian and right. unfortunately and I'm ashamed to um, uh, admit this but the nuance in Romanian is kind of lost a little bit and I wouldn't dare try to write in Romanian anymore. If anybody wanted to translate the book, yes, please be my guest, but I wouldn't try that just because I don't think I'd do a very good job. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, when you've lived here longer than Romania, that makes sense, and then your whole life is surrounded by English speakers and you start reading English books and everything, so that makes sense. I guess it would be similar to someone who's, you know, learnt another language. Like, they wouldn't necessarily be comfortable writing an entire novel in that language but they understand a novel written in that language yes yes do you still read like romanian literature or (laughs) i um i should read more than i actually do um i speak romanian again not enough only with my parents english comes easier to me and my sister who also lives here and has lived here for over 20 years my niece who was raised in this country she refuses to speak Romanian to us mainly because we did such a bad job of teaching it (laughs) in the first place but I do tell myself you know with every new year's resolution is that you know this year I really have to read more in Romanian Mm -hmm. and it's yeah it's a work in progress I'm working on it yeah no for sure and like oh your niece that's so funny because like me and my sister always grew up being like why to our parents like why didn't you teach us another language it's so cool to be able to speak another language and yet she's like no I'm not having it not speaking Romanian no I think now she's started to change her mind a little bit because she started doing French at school right and Romanian is a Latin based language Mm -hmm. just like French is so I think she sees these similarities and she is kind of half tempted so her fingers crossed we'll we'll (laughs) we'll get her there yes even if it just helps her a bit with her French or something it's just nice to I think as well if she's even tried learning it I feel like that does give you an upper hand when it comes to learning another language yeah, yeah absolutely and 
it will be great because when she speaks to our mom in Moldova, often she has to use Google Translate. And oh, as really? you know, the words are not always <laughs> translated as they should. Some interesting so, things come out of Google absolutely. Translate. <laughs> yes, yes. And we had an incident where instead of um, tortoise, she said something else in Romanian that sounded a bit rude. Oh. So, yes, um, our mother said we have to really sort that out. Yes. Have you, um, this is completely off topic, but have you watched Emily in Paris on Netflix? No, I haven't. I would highly recommend it because, yeah, it's about this amazing American going to Paris uh, for a job for a year um, but she doesn't speak any French and it's her trying to get by and there are some scenes where she uses the wrong term and it is just so funny because you do think that must happen so much when you're trying to use a new language and you accidentally say the wrong thing or even um, my niece who is 15 months starting to speak and she keeps sounding like she's swearing in different languages <laughs> and we're all like no no <laughs> let's say thank you instead <laughs> Yeah, no, totally relate to that. So, yeah, I'll add that to my list. Yes, to watch. for sure. Emily in Paris is 10 out of 10. It's, you know, trashy but great. And all the episodes are like half an hour. So great. it's a really easy watch. But yes, back, back to writing. So Set in Stone, amazing book for those who haven't read it yet. It's all about two women falling in love in medieval Moldova. I absolutely loved it. The cover was just absolutely beautiful, um, almost as beautiful as the book. <laughs> um, but yeah, what inspired you to write Set in Stone? A very loaded question, I know. The inspiration of the book comes from a very old Moldovan legend. Actually, it's not Moldovan because it's a widespread myth in Eastern Europe. And it's a gruesome myth um, where the women are purely in the story just to serve their husbands mm -hmm. or the men's narrative. And the woman in uh, this particular legend is portrayed um, as a selfless woman who is ready to die for her husband's endeavour of building this huge, magnificent church which would carry his fame throughout the world. I didn't buy that because who would willingly and readily say that, yeah, I'd die for your dream or for someone else's dream? Yeah. So when I was young, I didn't quite understand all the levels, all the layers of sexism and misogynism in the legend. And when I grew up I was angry about everything that went into uh, into you know, how the women were treated in the legend and so I um, I kind of started asking myself questions what was this woman the mason's wife really like if we got the chance to speak to her and ask her questions what would she tell us about her dreams about her desires and wishes and how would she want to live her life so that kind of stuff fascinated me. And uh, when I was thinking about writing, this idea just came to me and I said, I'm going to rewrite her story and mm -hmm. put her in center stage in the, in, in the story. Let her or give her the choices that she didn't have in the original story. I mean, that's actually amazing. I, I didn't realize that's where it had come from because reading Set in Stone, you get no indication that this was originally a man's story like it seems entirely these two or even three women's story um so I, I can't believe it's come from his as well a character who seemed so ground and insignificant and you know you think yes there could be this incredible story between these all these women but actually myth has focused on this one man wanting to build a church 
You began with the myth, and then how did you decide on this um, romance between the two women? It wasn't something that I had to think about, actually. Um, I Somehow I knew right from the beginning that Mira is going to fall in love with another woman. And I think that's maybe because I don't know of any books or stories that are influenced or inspired by Moldovan history or legends that feature queer characters. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know what, that, that's a bit disheartening because it means that those people in my culture who were gay and who never got to tell their story don't have a voice, don't have, um, we don't have that um, in our contemporary literature. Yeah. So I decided to have Mira fall in love with Elena, the other main character in the book. And, well, I would like to actually say here as well the fact that um, the LGBT um, rights in Moldova have a lot of catching up to do. That's because Moldovan society is extremely conservative mm -hmm. because it's heavily and strongly influenced by the Orthodox Church. So um, that was another kind of um, reason why I wanted to write this book and it's a book that I could have only published it here I think I don't think I would have easily published something like this in Moldova mm -hmm. um, the good news is that the younger generation is more open-minded and liberal in their outlook and we have had a successful pride march since 2013 oh, even amazing. though yes even though um, they um, they've had to deal with massive anti-gay protests organized by certain political parties and religious groups wow. to stop that but there is hope um, there is hope despite everything that's going on you know I was um, um, reading the other day the, the stuff that young gay people in Moldova have to go through is really absurd. Uh, you have families who take their kids to, to the church to be sprinkled with holy water to drive the devil out of their hearts and mm. minds. Or they're being taken to see a psychiatrist. And, you know, in this day and age, it's just not acceptable. We've, yeah. we've got enough trauma in Moldova. But yeah, like thinking about just like even growing up, you know, in London, like where there's quite, you know, pride marches as well. And there's, you know, so much more like queer literature. Um, there's like Heartstopper by Alice Osman, mm. which was like the comic series, then became the TV show. Like there's so many more advances in that, that it is so easy to forget that while this culture is making strides for sure you know not fully there but definitely making headway like other cultures are so far severely behind. lacking in absolutely, it absolutely absolutely and that must be so difficult because you, like it's great they you know i'm sure they're able to get their hands on like american english australian you know whatever literature that is queer but you know you'll probably never feel that connection with it like you would if it was like a queer couple from your own country absolutely yeah you don't have that role models in yeah. um, tv shows or books or theater plays no yeah absolutely is lacking massively yeah and their story it's it's quite sad i was debating it but i'm gonna spoil here <laughs> for anyone who hasn't read it but obviously at the end it's it's both like touching that they end up together but 
so disheartening that she has to, uh, one of the women has to pretend to be a man in order for their relationship to work. And you think, you know, I feel like Alina's doing a few things there, which is, you know, representing that you can be trans and you can be gay and you, you basically can just be whatever you want to be, which is amazing. But at the same time, if she wanted to be a woman, she could not be with another woman. It's either you are straight or you are trans and straight as a trans man. So it was kind of like that was another choice taken from her at the end there. Um, Mira was kind of the one who ended up having that, like, I am who I am officially. And I did get the feeling that Alina was obviously just so happy to be who she was in herself. But I got that sense that it wasn't necessarily like that that choice in the end was pushed on her a bit to have to be a man um, even though she was happy with that because it made her happy in herself. But even just things like that, it's like that kind of reminder that like, well, as long as they look like the kind of straight couple, couple, yes, yes, then yes. then they can go about their way in the world. I'm so glad that you wrote about two women. I think that's so nice as well for us to be able to kind of put out a more inclusive uh, title in our list and, and I'll be forever grateful for that oh, well, thank you and honestly like it is one of the books that people still like talk about on social media and everything which you know so happy to hear so I also wanted to talk about um, just using um, so it, it's Romanian language in the book that you use or is it Moldovan language <laughs> sorry that's probably should know actually, this actually do you know what no um, it's actually very Good question, very pertinent, because I would like to um, to say that, well, from the beginning, that there is no such a thing as Moldovan language. Right. In Moldova, we speak Romanian. The Moldovan language was um, a Soviet invention to wrench us from our Romanian roots. Oh. So during the communist era, they forced us to write Romanian, which is a Latin-based language, in the Cyrillic alphabet. Now, imagine writing French in Cyrillic. That's absurd, right? Yet that was our reality until 1989 when the Soviet Union collapsed and we could revert back to Latin-based Romanian. Wow. That's that's crazy. I had no idea. Yes. So um, you will have people who still say that they speak Moldovan. I totally Mm -hmm. disagree. To me, there is no Moldovan. Like, there is no Australian language or Canadian. It's English, right? So we, we do have a dialect in Moldova and um, some words uh, can sound Russian and, you know, but it is essentially Romanian language. Mm-hmm. The native words that I use in the book are Romanian mostly, but their etymology goes to Slavic roots and Latin and Turkish. Um, but I use them because when there wasn't an English translation readily available. To or some or English ver- uh, words and terms that would describe certain pieces of clothing or footwear that mm-hmm. we um, that I use in the book, and also I think I wanted to add a touch of authenticity, given that we're talking about a very old um, legend. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, when when I think of reading like um, the books on Greek mythology, like they use the terms. I mean, I'm it's in a way 
translated, but it's still that kind of ancient dialect used for like a lira. Like yes. you wouldn't find a lira nowadays, but you read about it, and yeah, it just sort of immerses you so much more in the world if Absolutely, you're using yes, that yes. kind of language. And you want the reader to have a little bit of a flair, right? Of um, yeah, um, these stories and where they're placed and the culture and the times and yes. So it was, it wasn't something that I had to think about it. I knew that I would have words, native words, sprinkled throughout the book. Yes, that's that is really what it is. They really are sprinkled in there, which is it's so lovely. And it does, you know, it's a language that I never really ad- address in sort of any at any point in like life. And it's so funny because I used to work with people who were Romanian, and I would hear them speak it. But um, you know, for most of the time, you you learn French in school and Spanish in school. You might see Greek in a Greek like mythological book, and even then, I know I'm pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've never like come into like kind of contact with Romanian. So it was well, now, and now I know it's Romanian rather than Moldovan. Yes, because yeah, yeah I, you know, I've always been you know talking about it as this medieval Moldovan story, but it's the words are Romanian. That's right. Yes, okay. so the language is Romanian. Yes. Yeah, I am from Moldova. The country is Moldova, but the language is Romanian. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's great to know. <laughs> great to clear up. Yeah, because obviously English is used in so many different countries and mm. Spanish as well like people I know who speak Spanish are like Spanish is so different everywhere absolutely yes (laughs) so it's yeah I guess it would be the same as that you just have things in your cultures that are like used you know slightly different words for different things but the overall basis of the language is the same yes yes but yes what book are you currently reading at the moment I I love reading more than one book at the same time because I listen to audiobooks and um read at the same time so I would probably have like two or three at the same time I just finished Ruth Ozeki's books A Tale for the Time Being and the book of Form and Emptiness and um, currently I am reading Hamnet oh, wow. and that is um, our well I'm part of a reading club reading women reading only women club so what we do yeah I know right <laughs> we go through the women's prize winning books for the last 25 years so this month we have got Hamlet that's such a good idea and um, yes absolutely loving it I haven't finished it yet but love it yeah absolutely recommending it to everyone who hasn't read it and if you had to give it a score out of 10 what would you say Hamlet yes so far like I said I haven't finished it but for me it's a 10 out of 10 totally absolutely wow okay good to know don't have to think about it yeah because it it did get you know so much hype online and like I was saying to you earlier it's been sat in my TBR pile waiting to be read but um, good to know that it actually does live up to the hype because sometimes you know you see these things but obviously it did win a prize so you do think there's got to be something to it but then, you know, there have been books who, uh, the books which have won prizes, but I didn't quite get into them. Yeah. That also happens. But with this particular one, no, I, I, I love it. And um, I don't usually like to write or make notes in books much because, you know, <laughs> I, I love books. But I do find myself going over and over some, some said sentences uh, or words or just rereading Yes, um, stuff and just because the language is just beautiful. I mean, it's astonishing. Really, she's love it. Irish, isn't she? It's Maggie O'Farrell. That's right. Yeah. The yeah, the Irish writers are just they they oh have God. a way with words. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's an incredible soul. I love it. Yeah. It's sometimes I like um, Grania Murphy, one of our authors. I'll read a sentence of hers, and I'm like, how can you? 
describe something in that way that I never would have thought to describe it that that's exactly how that moment feels like I know exactly what you're talking about and it's just written so beautifully yes they yeah yeah yeah, so profound and the way they capture it you're right it makes you stop and think and I could probably take like the next couple of hours just think about that one sentence yes yeah yeah it's incredible I kind of wish in a way that like at school you studied something like that you know rather than you know obviously I loved studying like Pride and Prejudice and all like the classics but in a way it would be nice to study some like modern literature where yeah like one sentence can just completely change your perspective on how you saw something or oh, absolutely. in a Do bit you know of what? contemporary yes yes and uh i ca- i'm kind of jealous that you got to study pride and prejudice at school yes, because i did love it <laughs> in moldova we we only um had access to um russian writers most of them um oh, dead okay. i don't re- i don't remember having any female role models uh, female writers role models um it was much later when I started learning English and um, we had American volunteers coming to Moldova. They used to bring us lots of books in English and that's how I got to get more into wow. other cultures. But yeah, growing up it was just Russians and um, I believe Latin Americans, but that was it. Do you think maybe you've been put off that a little bit then because you were just forced to read it That's so much? That's why I haven't read a dead Russian author for a very long time. And I'm not planning on reading <laughs> yes, anyone. Yes, it's not anywhere in, no, the, in the future. I'm done with that. Done and yeah. dusted. Done and dusted. Yeah, especially because the, uh, the Russian... Whenever I think of Russian literature classically, I think of just really thick, dense, heavy kind of novels. And you know what? They're great. They're absolutely great. I mean, the psychology and the humanity behind it, it's... It's wow, it's out of this world, it's great. But I think when you do something and something that you've overdone for years, mm-hmm. I think you need a, you need a breather yeah, for that, for from sure. that, that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, especially when it is like something you're studying and so that makes it immediately extremely heavy reading. Exactly, yeah, you want something else. You yeah. yeah, you want Mr Darcy. <laughs> no, Jane Austen is amazing. Like she, I do love her writing and so I was very lucky to study her. Um, but sometimes, you know, when you're just like, oh, I've read so many of her novels now and, and you're picking them apart at school and you're like, it would be really nice to... Read something for of, pleasure. Yeah, read something for pleasure and read something just a bit more modern. Yes. It would be nice to kind of balance it out, but no, they very much believe in teaching you about the sort of 19th century writers. Going back to Set in Stone again... So you write about two equally empowering women and I just want to know how you formed them. I knew right from the beginning that Mira's lack of freedom to live the life that she wanted wasn't to do, wasn't fostered by her social standing as much as it was by her gender. Mm. So then right away I knew that for me to be able to explore that deeper and go more into uh, what I wanted to write about would mean that Elena, the woman that Mira falls in love with, is rich. So I do make her, she's the boyer's daughter, the daughter of a local landowner, and despite her social standing, she's equally trapped and smothered by the um, social and religious norms of the times. So I think ultimately the idea that regardless of where they came from in society, the the women share the same shackles, Mm -hmm. those of their gender. 
And that's what I wanted to explore in the book. That's why you have both women, different backgrounds, yet the same kind of struggles. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely, you get that sense because it's, you know, it's that idea of, you know, there's the nature versus nurture. And it's like, yes, um, the nurture side of things, they've definitely had completely different but equally harrowing experiences of life in terms of poverty and richness. But it, it's that kind of stripping it back. It doesn't matter. They Absolutely, both have yes. the same issues. Yes. They're both going through the same struggles. And it's like a mental toll on both of them. Yeah, because even if Elena's life seems to be or have more freedom at the first sight, actually, it doesn't. Because when she there is a scene where she talks to her father about being free and her father says nobody's free because Mm -hmm. you know you are a woman I am even though I'm a boy or a rich man I have to answer to someone else above me and so on so on so no one is really free and then if there was such a thing as proper absolute freedom would we really want it and it's kind of taking away that the really obvious things that money provides which is clothes food and shelter you know, the kind of parallels that are drawn between the two of them, with especially with, like, Alina bringing food and everything like that, it's it's kind of like, well, at the end of the day, n- neither of them have anything. No. Even though, you know, she's trying to share her riches with Mira, you don't get the sense of this, like, abundance or richness from her that really you'd assume she had. It's so, yeah, it's just a, two different versions of being entirely trapped. Exactly, and exploring it, exploring that concept from different angles. So Stella has very kindly brought in some Romanian treats for us. Now, in English, it would be crescents, but That's in right, yes. Romanian, it's they are called cornulete. Cornulete. That's right. Oh, perfect <laughs> okay. pronunciation. Perfect. Um, and they're filled with uh, sour cherry jam. So yeah, these ones um, are filled with sour cherry jam. But you can be as creative as you like with fillings. We do use um, any kind of jam or dry fruit or nuts or a mixture of nuts and fruits. So yeah, it's um, you go crazy yeah I mean I I just had one with the sour cherry jam and it was actually delicious I would probably put it at like 7 out of 10 8 out of 10 it's very much like it's like the Romanian version of a jammy dodger I would say yes, yes you're right because that's <laughs> it's, what actually what my yeah. husband said yes, is yeah, it yes, yes. <laughs> glad to know that we're on the same page yeah because although I mean the the actual crescent like pastry biscuit it's lighter than a jammy dodger which I prefer the kind of lighter biscuit especially with the amount I would usually consume of a biscuit it's nicer for it to be lighter but yeah no they were absolutely delicious so thanks so much what would you give them out of 10 obviously these ones because we I had um, a similar box over Christmas I would probably give them yeah um, a 7 out of 10 mainly because they're not baked by my mother yes Uh, because uh, (laughs) yeah growing up with her she was the one baking them and she actually had a secret and I think I'm safe to say this secret because I don't think anyone in our community any none of the women will be listening to the podcast <laughs> they um, won't know <laughs> they wouldn't know no she so th- these um crescents are usually baked with or uh, the pastry is done with sour cream but my mother used buttermilk instead mm. and they were absolutely divine so um yes to hers i'll probably always give a 10 out of 10 yeah and you used to help her bake them 
Absolutely, yes. I never passed the chance. I always <laughs> offered my help because I knew that um, I always would get to eat the first batch because, <laughs> yeah, accidentally or not, I used to overfill them and uh, the jam would spill and burn in the oven, but that meant that I could I could eat them. <laughs> A bit of sabotage Absolutely, for the first yes. bake. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for coming in and chatting today. Thank you, Olivia. Thank you for having me. And that's all for this week. A huge thank you to Stella for such a lovely chat and for providing such wonderful treats. We loved both reading and publishing set in stone here at Legend Times, but more importantly, we love sharing incredibly special novels like this with our readers. So this week, we're going to do a set in stone giveaway. All you have to do is follow the podcast, share this episode on Instagram or Twitter and tag us at legend underscore times on Instagram or at legend underscore times underscore on Twitter to be entered into the giveaway and if you could please leave us a review we'd be very grateful as it helps us reach other fellow book lovers next time on another book podcast i'll be talking to the wonderful david derbyshire co-author of the sleep of reason a 2022 amazon bestseller to discuss his life in journalism his unique writing process and what it was like to co-author a crime novel with the current head of the metropolitan police sir mark rowley until then good luck to all those entering the giveaway and we hope you have a great monday 